Trinity Church, Todd Arnett, lead pastor here with you on this first Sunday of July. You can tell I'm a day behind in my wardrobe, but thank you for joining us on this 4th of July weekend. We are really glad that you're here, and like Greg said earlier, very much very different than what we had thought, but thank you for joining us online. We look forward to those who will be joining us outdoors tonight at 7 p.m. as well, and uh, a great time to just go, hey, we're going to be flexible and agile, so thank you for doing that with us today as well. I want to thank the worship team for an amazing job leading us to the presence, the, the heartbeat of God today. I want to thank Greg for doing a great job hosting. I want to thank our production team. You would not be able to engage with us today if it weren't for them. So wherever you're at, would you give them a big hoot and holler, big claps, big thank you production team, because this team is definitely vital to us. They've been that for years, but especially in this season and especially today. Well, I'm excited to be with you. We're going to kick off a brand new series today. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But I want to let you know this. We want to be able to communicate with you. And I have had numerous conversations in the last couple of weeks where when we told people, I've said, now, you remember, did you get a chance to take our survey? Or did you see that in our e-news this week or my midweek video? And they look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. So let me show you this. I'm going to move to the screen. I want you to see, so this is on the front of our main page of our website. Some of you are joining us there right now and you're using the website and others on YouTube or Facebook. But if you'll note at the top, there's a menu section. If you hit that, click on that. And at the bottom, it says, sign up to receive e-news. Sign up to receive e-news. If you're in that email pool, you will stay better connected with us. So I want to remind you, do that. Do that now. Do that today so that the updates that we'll be getting, because literally we will have to see. We'll make, have some conversations and try to make a decision tomorrow, Monday the 6th, about next weekend. But we are in a very fluid time. So we want you to stay in touch with us and stay up to date. So that's the best way to find out what is going on. Secondly, we said that we're beginning this new series today called Fear Not. I want to give you a resource that I've really come to love, an author I've mentioned to you before, Max Lucado, his book called Fear Less. And what's interesting, I love his, the title of the book. I'm going to read an excerpt to you today. But what I love about the book is that on the one hand, and you'll see the subtitle, um, Imagine your life without fear. But I also want to say this. For some of us who would say, Todd, that's such a huge stretch. I can't even begin to think of my life that way. Then just do this. Put a hyphen between the word fear and the word less. So at least as you would consider the book and consider this series, let's fear less than we did yesterday. And we're going to see some good reasons of why we can do that. So let me read uh, an excerpt just to start off our time together. You'll get the tone of our series a little bit. And my plan is probably weekly to just read a snippet out of this and, and let you see what a great resource this might be for you personally. It says, fear, it seems, has taken a hundred-year lease on the building next door and set up shop. Oversized and rude, fear is unwilling to share the heart with happiness. Happiness complies and leaves. Do you ever see the two together? Can one be happy and afraid at the same time? Clear thinking and afraid? Confident and afraid? Merciful and afraid? No. Fear is the big bully in the high school hallway, brash, loud, and unproductive. 
Fear never wrote a symphony or a poem, negotiated a peace treaty, or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a marriage or a business. Courage did that. Faith did that. Last statement for today. What if faith, not fear, was your default reaction to threats? Well, that's my hope. You join us today in a brand new series where we are going to be looking at what is the most often stated command in Scripture. Chris did a great job including that in the bumper video you just watched a minute ago. And what I want to help us see over the course of this series together this summer are the ways in which God says, God comes to his people and he assures them, you don't need to be afraid. And what I want to help you with today is what he bases that on. You'll see over the course of this series that God is directing you to fear not, and that doesn't come as a stern command, right? You have maybe even said that to your children at times. Hey, knock it off. Don't be afraid. This is not how God communicates with us. Instead, he gives a loving reminder that because of who he is and because of whose you are, you can be confident in whatever situation that you're facing. Today, I want you to see three times, three different places where God told people to fear not. The first place we're going to look is a narrative where he's actually using his mouthpiece. He's using Moses to the people. But then we'll see to these people's forefathers, Abram and Jacob, God comes to them personally in very challenging circumstances and tells them, don't be afraid. I want you to listen to these narratives, and I not only, like every time, want you to get into their sandals. I want you to be able to relate to the situation that they're actually going through, but also consider how their challenges look a whole lot like yours, the ones that you're going through today, and how the same God that told them to fear not then is telling you to fear not now. None of the things that we'll see today emanate from a God who says, because I told you so. But we're going to see again and again an explanation. A God who doesn't need to explain himself, but like a good, good father, he's going to give assurance as to why they can trust him. Here's our now what statement as we dive into this first week of this new series. Though you may be surrounded by fearful circumstances, fear not and look for God's deliverance. That's what I want you to walk away with this week. That's what I want to be the application of what you walk through because of what we see in the word of God. Here's number one in your notes today. By the way, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Exodus chapter 14. Sorry, I didn't give you that heads up earlier. As well as we mentioned that in the comments section, uh, Greg was noting those things like our new card, our giving online, and our prayer card. Also, there's a section to download the notes. So if you haven't done that yet, I'd encourage you to do that as well. Here's our number one blank today. Though God's proven faithfulness should provide you confidence, you still need fresh faith for what you're encountering today. You still need fresh faith for what you're encountering today. This is where we pick up the first narrative from Exodus chapter 14. Look at where it begins at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, by the way, you're doing a great job when we've been doing so much online. Let's do it out loud. Read it out loud with me. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Now, I read these words today, and I'm just going to tell you, I can totally see myself saying these same things. We're going to set the context a little bit for you today so you can enter in even more to what was going on in this narrative, but words that were riddled with sarcasm and entrenched with fear and and that of distrust. And and this is how we say it in our lives. God, couldn't you have just left me at that dead-end job, then provide an opportunity to get one that looked like you were leading me to only to have me laid off? God, it was already hard managing two children. Now you're bringing us twins? God, it was hard enough the idea of being single. And you know I pled for a husband, but it is infinitely worse being married to him. These are the kinds of things that we have said. Life was already rough. And God, you've added more challenge. But what I want you to see today, see the catalyst for this nation's fears then, but also see the catalyst of your fears today. They were terrified. That's what the text tells us in Exodus 14. They were terrified. You see, what's true of this people is that they were born into slavery, They had never known anything different. By the time this generation, and we'll go backwards, and we'll see from Abram and Jacob how they end up in this place, but this generation had known only their parents and grandparents had also been slaves in Egypt. But in this season, they're also being reintroduced to a God they had lost touch with. They had not had this kind of intimate connection like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had with this God. And now all of a sudden they have these two strikes against them. There are people who don't know what freedom looks like. And there are people who don't trust the God who calls them into it. That's a challenging thing. Now, what they did know is they knew Moses. They knew Moses as the self-proclaimed, self-appointed leader who had come back from who knows where, commissioned by a God we don't know much of. And, And what we do know is he only made Pharaoh matter and matter at the kinds of challenges he was giving him and ultimately even bringing plagues upon the land to all the Egyptians. We know that. And what this group of people also knew is they knew an amazing thing had happened because they followed the instructions of Moses. They put the blood of an innocent lamb over their doorposts and all of their firstborns were saved, were rescued. But they heard the howling all over the land of Egypt as the firstborn was the 10th plague. The firstborn was taken on that night. They also know that their former masters literally were giving them wealth, literally were giving them resources and saying, don't ever come back to town again. You are free, get out. They had witnessed and experienced all those things. So in the midst of some uncertainty and in the midst of some things, they had experienced firsthand the power and the goodness of God. Here is this group of people. They are marching, and and theologians would say close to two million Israelite slaves were leaving Egypt. And as they were marching towards uh, their their, uh, freedom and their escape, 
they come to this rock and a hard place kind of situation. The kind that no God could save them from. They're staring, it's the middle of the night, they're staring forward and they see the waters of the Red Sea and then now behind them what has made matters worse is Pharaoh's army is in pursuit. There is nowhere to go but they're simply gonna be slaughtered in the desert. Simple question for you today, have you been there? Not physically in Egypt, facing the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind you, but have you seen some of the goodness and faithfulness of God in days past? But now you're facing the kinds of odds that he can't seem to rescue you from. And your spirit is filled with the same kind of terror that filled theirs. And it's moved you to sarcasm, it's moved you to anger, and it's moved you to distrust. In the middle of all this hostility, in the middle of all this angst, I want you to see today what were the words that Moses, on behalf of God, says to this people. Look at the next part. Romans 14, or I'm sorry, Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid? Are you kidding me? We are going, we are a defenseless people walking into, towards the water with an army pursuing us. What better appropriate emotion could there be? I love the graphic that Chris Petnack developed for us for this series, that of a, a wooded forest. And in that idea, if you've ever walked through a darkened forest, you instantly related to the graphic. What did I just hear? What's over there? What's behind that tree? Those are all the things that you experience, a deep sense of fear because of the unknown. And it was similarly in the darkness of night that the Israelites would find out just moments later, just moments later after Moses says, do not be afraid, that he would raise his staff, commanded by God, the waters of the Red Sea would part in two. All two million of these slaves would walk across on dry land, and the moment that they did, as Pharaoh's army was in pursuit against them, in that same space, the waters crashed on top of them, and every one of them was lost. That's, that doesn't happen, right? That is a supernatural miracle. But can I remind you today, you serve and you know and you're loved by a supernatural God. I want you to see in your notes something that we often forget. As God-sized as this colossal miracle was, two things that they, like us, would forget again and again. God is bigger than any problem that you're facing. You have to begin with that beachhead. God is bigger than any problem that you're facing. And secondly, you can have confidence in him because of who he is and watch. And that confidence grows the more that you trust him with what you're facing. If you want to have more confidence, more faith, more trust in God, trust him with what you're staring at today. Not something in the distant future, not something you even think of in the past, 
but something you're staring at today, that's where your confidence begins to grow. And as we would see these words given to this people in the midst of deeply challenging circumstances, I want to show you two other narratives today where God himself came personally to their forefathers and to their forefathers said, your descendants are going to face exactly what they did in Exodus chapter 14. Look in your notes, number two today. Fear is based on circumstances that you see. Faith is based on the God that you trust. Fear is based on the circumstances that you see. Faith is based on the God that you trust. This is what I mean by that. We're going to go back a book in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to see God speaking to Abram, Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, read it with me. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Let's begin. It begins with after this. That relates to Abraham. Abram at this time had just rescued his nephew Lot from some marauders that had come through his area and snatched up him, his family, and his wealth. And God blessed Abram. He saved Lot and rewarded him richly as a result. And, and that's the moment that this comes after. And and as good as that was, there's a grim reality that Abram was still facing. I'm going to die childless and hand over, God, all that you have blessed me with to a servant in my household, not a son, but a servant. That was very discouraging and a deeply upsetting circumstance that he was facing, even though he had seen the amazing faithfulness of God before. And God was even approaching him in this vision. This is a paraphrase, God, you're my great reward, but I have no one to share it with beyond my wife. And the idea is it ends with us, there's no next generation. Then I want you to take this exchange, I want you to try to get into Abram's sandals for just a minute, and I want you to behold an audacious promise, and I want you to see an amazing, confident response. This is where Genesis 15 goes next, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him again, read it with me, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Watch this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I want you to see some of the irony about some of these things so you don't read right over it. Number one, Abram's name means father. God gave the name Abram to a guy who hadn't had kids for a hundred years. Everywhere he worked, hey dad, oh yeah, no kids. That's the running joke. God was going to make good on that. Second, in his incredibly old age, God doesn't just promise a child, but he promises a nation. 
God promises an incredible group of descendants that were going to come from Abram. Abram would have settled for a child. God says, here's a people. Audacious promise. But it's Abram's response today that I want you to see that really blows me away. No arguing. No how can this be kind of response. No pushback. Simply, Abram believed the Lord. I would just say to us a prayer today, God, give us that kind of confidence in you. When you promise us audacious things in the midst of lean and fearful times. God, give us that kind of confidence when you promise abundance in the midst of famine. God, give us that kind of confidence when you promise blessing when we feel cursed. And don't forget God's response to Abram's response. And the Lord credited him as righteousness. There was no law to keep at this time. That happens later in the book of Exodus. And also note there was no heroic quest that God was sending Abram upon. There was simply believing God, having confidence in a God who's able to do God-sized things, and God responding with, Abram, that's what I'm after. Abram, your simple obedience And not arguing with me, that pleases me. That puts a smile on my face. That puts us in right relationship. The definition of righteousness. I'm just starting to read the book of Romans again, and I'm I'm impressed by the fact that Paul uses again this story of Abram to really lay the foundation of the book in chapters 1 and chapters 4. Talking about the incredible need of faith not obedience to a law, not trying harder to be moral, faith in the accomplished work of God. Abram had to put faith in what God was telling him that was going to happen. We have to put faith backwards into what God has already done. You see, he sent his one-of-a-kind son to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death, And to be raised from the dead on the third day, conquering yours and my greatest fear, that of death itself. And here's the thing I want you to see. What the whole book of Romans is is putting forth is that just like Abram, we need to respond in faith. And that's what makes us right with God. Not trying to do things to please him aside. Not trying to keep rules confidence in what he has already provided for us. I want you to see this in your notes. This is a powerful thing to consider today. You responding in faith to the invitation extended in the gospel is the same kind of faith that Abram had. When we see this amazing accolade that God gives to Abram and says, as a result of you believing me, of you trusting me in what I'm saying, I'm crediting to that to you as righteousness. I'm seeing you as rightly related to me simply out of your confidence in what I've said. Note that when we put our faith in what God accomplished for us 2,000 years ago, we are exhibiting that same kind of faith that says, God, I simply believe what you've done on my behalf. Now, what I want to finish with quickly is just one last scene from this uh, 
conversation, this incredible vision that Abram has with God. And I want you to see that he tells Abram about what these future generations, right? He doesn't have a child. Abram doesn't have a child at this time. But God says, I want to tell you what your future descendants are going to endure and that they are going to settle and own, possess the land in which you're standing in today as an alien and a stranger. Look at these words. He also, this is God, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? We skip down to verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. By the word, dreadful, there's that catalyst for fear again. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, insert Egypt, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Exactly what we see just a book later in Exodus chapter 14. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And watch this. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So listen as this promise from God gets more and more specific. This is what's going to happen. It's not going to be easy. It's not even as though they're going to stay your descendants in this land forever. But when they come back, they will make good on the promise I'm making to you. Audacious promise from a God-sized God. Finally today in your notes, number three. The pathway that God uses to to fulfill his plans for you is seldom obvious. The pathway that God uses to fulfill his plans for you is seldom obvious. Can I get an amen, right? That is definitely the way our lives have already shown. Let me show it to you in another one of these people's forefathers, a guy named Jacob. In your Bibles, flip over to Genesis chapter 46, or if you want to read aloud on the screen, read with me. So Israel set out, Israel, by the way, not the nation, the person, another synonym for Jacob. Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. This is Abram's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt For I will make you into a great nation there. You will go down to Egypt. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. These words are given at a very auspicious time, uh, a challenging time for Jacob to make sense of the world. You see, he had believed a son he favored, right? That is not good parenting, by the way. Don't miss that. But a son he'd favored and Joseph, he had thought was dead for over a decade. And yet word comes back to him from his sons that not only is Joseph alive, Joseph is number two in the land of the most prosperous land on the planet, that of Egypt. 
And so he hears these words, and, and then what he's also told in his own land, the reason why a reconnection was made was they were experiencing famine in the land of Canaan where Jacob lived. So as a result, they, they, he was leaving everything he had known, everywhere he had grown up, everything that he under, had understood was his birthright, that God had given to his grandfather, given to his father, given to him, he was stepping away from that to go and replant at an old age down in Egypt. But note the explanation of God. I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph, your son, his own hand will close your eyes. Three times, Yahweh, the God of his father and the God of his grandfather, says to him, I will provide for you. Just trust me. All these words brought great comfort and encouragement to an aging man who thought just moments before all was lost, not only regarding his son Joseph, but even all of his family who was on the brink of starving to death. It wasn't the pathway that Jacob thought God would use to fulfill his promise to him. But God says, do not be afraid. Yes, the path looks different than you had imagined, but I am with you. I'm in it. Simple question, can you relate? Can you relate today? In this very difficult, challenging season of twists and turns, so many unexpected things, could it be that God is fulfilling for you his plan that you would have never looked at, never wished for, but he's working it out, fulfilling it in a way that is very obscure and doesn't seem obvious at all. Let me answer that question for you. It's yes. And I say that not only because of the word of God, but I say it also because of my experiences that so many times I thought I had a plan and God was working this out over here to bring me to something even better than I even thought for myself. This is the way God works. You've experienced this reality in the past. You've seen, it's not only my experience, it's been yours. P paths that seemed obvious to you, God took a different route. So here's the question, if that's what's happened in the past, even in your own life, your own story, your own testimony, why would you think that he's not doing that again today? And he says to you now in this season, do not be afraid. One reality that really brings me encouragement is that these narratives we've looked at today, the people of Israel being uh, attacked and, and challenged by Pharaoh's armies, the, the words to Abram, the words to Jacob, and the words to so many more in Scripture, the reason why we get their account is because they're examples to us. They're examples of people who chose to fear not in the midst of challenging circumstances. And we have their accounts so that we can know, we can agree, God, help me not be afraid. Hebrews 11 is this wonderful account of men and women whose confidence scale was much greater than their fear scale. What was in their confidence scale was of much more weight than their fear scale. And example after example of people and examples for us of people who agreed with God, 
fear not. It's that group who in Hebrews 12 are this great cloud of witnesses that's being addressed or being mentioned. But what Hebrews 12 transitions to is what the entire book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is better. Jesus is the one, and it's Jesus who also did not succumb to fear. Look at the way Hebrews 12 begins. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, when we go back and look at the narratives, we look at the responses of the people of Israel, we look at the responses of Abram and of Jacob. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Watch. So that, purpose statement, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not only the example of so many of Jesus' people, but the example of Jesus himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to know today that you come from a long line of people that have struggled to have confidence in God, but at the end of the day, put their weight, put their trust, put their hope in him. And I want to remind you, that's what your lineage, that's what your heritage is all about, and God's calling you to do the same today. Look at this last point in your notes. You come from good stock. Look back on your brothers and sisters and to your big brother, Jesus himself, for how to live confidently because of who your God is. Look to Jesus himself to learn how to confidently live and trust God because of who he is. Here's our now what statement one more time today. Though you may be surrounded by fearful circumstances, fear not. Fear not and look for God's deliverance. Let me pray for us today. Father, we are living in a time that is fraught with so many different types of challenges, so many different types of circumstances, so many things that cause us to be on edge. Many of us maybe wouldn't even be called fear, but there is a constant sense of just this uneasiness, of of not being able to simply relax because of what is the next turn that is coming? What is the next challenge? What is the next issue I have to prepare for? There's been an onslaught, God, of challenging circumstance after challenging circumstance. Even the way we've had to rearrange this weekend, yet another example of having to be flexible and having to trust you. So God, would that be true of our lives this week? Would our, what is in our scale of our confidence be greater than what's in the scale of our fear? And would we be a people who have a growing confidence because of whose we are, of who you are. If you're here today watching, I want to let you know there is no accident that you are watching on the first day of a brand new series, that you're watching in a day when we have talked about fear, when fear has been gripping your life, and this great God that I've been talking about all morning, this great God we've been singing about all morning, 
This God is calling you to himself. You see, when I can say, put your confidence in who God is, you would have to honestly say today, I don't have that confidence, Todd, because I've never responded to the invitation he's given me to be right with him in what we call the gospel. I want to give you great news today. You can look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith, You can look to him like Abram did to God and and have your faith credited as righteousness, not because you get more religious, not because you get more moral, but simply because you put your confidence in what God has already accomplished on your behalf. It begins by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing that this Jesus we've talked about today, this God-man, is the only savior available. And C, choosing Choosing to put your confidence in what he's done for you rather than in what you can do for yourself. Because the Bible says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Jesus paved the way for you. Your next response is responding to what he's accomplished on your behalf. I pray that you would pray a prayer of those simple ABCs before you even get out of your chair today. Don't let another moment go by. Father, we love you. We are embarking into a new series in days that need it. God, help us to have a growing confidence in who you are. We love you, and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.